Hello, Cornerstone. Uh, my name is Isaac, and if you haven't had the pleasure of meeting uh, yet, I would love to meet with you afterwards. Uh, we want to continue our series on you know living as a household of God uh, by looking at First Timothy chapter two, verses one through seven. But before we go into the passage today, I want to kind of give like a recap and uh, where to go uh, from here. And so, in the past couple of weeks, we've been learning about the trouble that's been brewing in the Ephesian church. And there were false teachers who were kind of masking the false things as the truth, and people were being led astray from it. And so Paul responds in two ways. And the first way that we he responds is through excommunication, which we saw last week. But the second way that Paul responds is by giving Timothy a series of instructions. And so he, he's instructing the church on how they should conduct itself. And so we're going to be looking at the first instruction today. Now, with that being said, would you stand for the reading of God's word in 1 Timothy chapter 2? We stand as an act of our worship to him because we're not just reading any text. We're not reading any book. We're reading the word of God. And so the living word of God says this, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God, of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The grass withers and the flower falls. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer once again? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for meeting us here in this place, for allowing us to gather together. And we ask that God, that you would help us lead us, uh, help us to be transformed by your holy word, and would you help me to faithfully preach the gospel today. We thank you and we glorify you in Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Uh, today we see very clearly uh, what the first instruction the church has to do. The church is called to pray. In verse 1, it says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, it seems to me that every time I've come up on this pulpit, I've been preaching about prayer, and you might be getting tired of hearing a sermon on prayer, but rest assured today, we're not learning about how we pray, we're learning about why we pray. In fact, there's three questions that I want us to look at today. The first is, what are we to pray for? Number two, why do we pray for this? And number three, what does this have to do with us? Now, let's get the first question today. What are we to pray for? Now, you've noticed here that Paul doesn't just say, pray for all people. But instead, this is what he says. He uses four words. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, this part seems confusing because you may be thinking, well, aren't these all the same thing? Why is he distinguishing all of them? And one commentary by G.W. Knight 
summarizes and I think distinguishes these words best. And he says this, supplications mean making requests for specific needs. Prayers means bringing those in view before God. Intercessions means appealing boldly on their behalf. And thanksgiving means being thankful for them. Now, the church must make supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for all people. In other words, today at Cornerstone, the church should be offering all sorts of prayers for all sorts of people. But notice as soon as he says, pray for all, he highlights in on one group. And in verse 2, Paul writes, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul puts into focus one specific group, which is the kings and the governing authorities. Now, why make uh, such a highlight here? Why highlight this group? Well, the reason can be twofold. And the first is simply so that the church may lead a, a, a peaceful and quiet life. Now, to be peaceful means to be without trouble. How can praying for kings and government authorities lead us to have peace or without trouble in our life? Well, in the bigger picture of uh, scheme, scheme of things, this, the way the government operates affect our daily lives. Having a good government allows us to be in peace from both war and civil conflict. In fact, historically, this was very important because in the early church, during Paul and Timothy's time, the emperor was Nero. Now, Nero was, uh, really didn't like Christians at all. In fact, uh, being a Christian during this time wasn't a freeing thing. It wasn't a liberating thing. Uh, it was difficult. It came with a lot of persecution. And one thing we know about Nero was there was this great fire that had occurred in, in Rome. And um, there was, no one really knows why or how the fire got started. But all we do know is who got the blame. And the blame was the Christians. Now, regardless of what Nero did or did not do, we knew that Christian, being Christian wasn't an easy thing. You didn't get a standing ovation. You didn't you know, get a compliment after you got saved. In fact, even after Nero, emperors came and more and more Christians got persecuted. So we begin to see the reason why Paul is highlighting this group. Praying for government authorities would help believers to be safe from mistreatment. But this, was, this wasn't the ultimate goal. You see, the ultimate goal is so that the church can live godly and dignified in every way. I think it's better translated in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, which says, For kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. What does godliness mean? It means it refers to the reverence that we owe God. And what does dignity mean? Uh, dignity, uh, as one commentary says, to be morally earnest. In other words, dignity refers to the way that we live with one another. So what in the world is Paul saying here? He's saying that we pray for government officials in order to live a peaceful life. But why do we need to live a peaceful life? so that we can honor God and honor one another. In other words, love God and love one another. Having peaceful lives isn't about living a comfortable lifestyle, but the focus is being able to do the kingdom work. 
I remember when I was in seminary and in Westman, um, I just want to share a little bit about myself. I wasn't a straight A student. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to, I would put in the work when I had to, but I also like to have fun. And thinking back, honestly, my friends and I were probably the worst because during finals week, if you, um, everyone is so serious. They're, they're so serious in the library. In fact, the library is so scary silent. You could drop a pencil and you'll probably hear it. And, but it also smelled a little funky too because people were just there from like 9 a.m. as soon as it opened till uh, 12 midnight. But I remember me and my friends, we would take a break and we would, uh, you know, joke around, laugh, talk. And all of a sudden, the librarian, who was also a student, would come over to us and just shush us. Now, imagine doing work in that condition. You have a group of people that are just joking, laughing. You're trying to get a lot of work done. You're distracted. In, in a sense, parents, as you guys know, during the pandemic, as you're working from home with kids running around, you're trying to get work done, you're trying to have a Zoom meeting, but it's hard. In a similar sense, it's far greater to get much kingdom work when there are less restrictions and distractions. At the end of the day, Paul is calling the church to pray for these government leaders, not for selfish gain, but so that the church can live in peace so that they can continue to love God and love others. But on the flip side of this, this the second uh, reason why Paul says this is this. He's calling the church to love their enemies. He's saying, pray for them. You see, these government authorities weren't the, weren't, uh, the church's friends. They were enemies. Now, it's one thing to pray for someone that you get along with, it's easy to pray for friends. It's easy to pray for your spouse. It's easy to pray for, you know, the, the guy or the girl that you have a crush on. But what about the person that wants to sabotage you? What about the one that wants to see you fail? What about the one that wants to get the promotion over you so they'll do anything? What about them? You see, when we pray for them, oh boy, praying gets difficult. And the last thing you want to do is offer up supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving. Probably the hardest one is thanksgiving. You're thanking God for them, for bringing hardship in your life. But here's what Paul is telling the household of God. Pray for every type of person, no matter what they think of you. No matter what the world says about you, pray for them. No matter who's ruling over you, pray for them. No matter who's slandering you, pray for them. No matter who's persecuting you, pray for them. Offer up supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for all people. But why? Which leads us to our next question. Why do we pray for all people? You know, the reason why um, we pray for all people that we see in verse 3 is actually it's pleasing to God. But there's a deeper reason to this. And the deeper reason is seen in verse 4, uh, which speaks about God's desire. So what is God's desire? In verse 4 it says, Who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of truth. So it's here it says God wants everyone to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. See, at the end of the day, as a household of God, we're not just praying for a peaceful life. Ultimately, what we're praying for is that sinners may come to the knowledge of the truth. We're praying so that 
believers, non-believers would actually begin to believe that their hearts would be softened. But now you might be wondering, wait a minute, God desires everyone to be saved? That doesn't sound right. That kind of sounds like universalism. Let's look at what the text is saying. You see, when we sort of just read through it, it kind of seems like universalism. It kind of seems like God wants to save everyone. That a loving God can't just put people into hell. It's impossible. But what is Paul teaching us here? You see, in order to understand what Paul is saying, I think we need to clearly define what he means by all people. Now, all people seems just like literally everyone, literally every individual in this world. But if we look at Acts 22, verse 15, Paul recounts his calling to the ministry. And he says this, and it's talking about everyone here. And so God is speaking to Paul and it says, for you, Paul, will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Now, Paul's calling isn't to go to literally every single person in this world and to witness the resurrection of Christ. But in fact, in verse 21, we see a clarification of that everyone, which is, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So everyone does, it doesn't mean an absolute, literally every single individual, but it's a reference to actually all kinds of people. Another example of this is actually seen in our text today. When we, li- when we see the logic, uh, the progression of this text, we follow what Paul is saying. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. You see, what Paul is trying to focus in is not on just one type of group, but all types of groups. And so the reason being is that Paul wants the church not just to pray for those that are being ruled, but he's calling the church to not forget about those that are ruling them. And even prior to this, we see in chapter 1, verse 16, uh, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul states here that he is the example for all sinners. The way to be saved is to believe in Christ. So the argument here that Paul's making is not universalism. He's not saying everyone's going to be saved. But what, is he, what he is saying is that those that believe in Christ will have eternal life. So therefore, I find it very hard to believe that Paul would just switch positions all in a matter of a couple sentences. So Paul's not saying that everyone's going to be saved because God desires them to be saved. But rather, what he's referring to is the fact that no matter who you are, no matter what your past is, no matter where you come from, whether you're a ruler or one that is ruled, whether you're successful or unsuccessful, whether you're rich or poor, salvation will come to those that believe. But at the same time, here in this verse, we begin to get a glimpse of who, of God's heart for this world. It's very similar to what's being said in Ezekiel 33 verse 11, which says this, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Paul shows us the heart of God. 
See, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't just go on a rampage and start giving everyone death sentences because that's what he wishes. But his real delight is in sinners, when, when sinners are saved. So the image that we're seeing here is God is loving people that actually hate him, that they would turn their backs upon him. And Paul further goes on to say something interesting in verses five to six, which says, for there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now, what a statement here. Because Paul goes on to say that we ought to pray not only because we have a God who desires all to be saved, but because we have the one mediator, Jesus Christ. So how do you become saved? The only way is through Jesus Christ, the mediator. What is a mediator? Someone once described a mediator as the go-between, the middleman. A good mediator is someone who is able to bring two people who are at odds together in agreement. So when you're at work and you have a conflict with your coworker, your mediator is probably HR or your manager. And if you're at school, your mediator is probably your teacher or guidance counselor. And at home, if you have your siblings, it might be your parents. And if you're a parent and you're fighting against each other, it might be a counselor or pastor. In other words, when you're in conflict with someone, you bring someone outside to help you mediate the situation. Today, all of us, whether you want to believe it or not, are at odds with God. How? All of us have sinned. Ever since the fall of man, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, all of humanity has been at odds with God. Even in our lives today, you know, when we look at the Ten Commandments, as we've been going through each commandment week by week, none of us can say, yes, I don't need to confess my sins today for worship. No, all of us have failed. And, and, and these, uh, these sins that we've committed has created this chasm between us and God. So how can we be right with God? How are we and God supposed to come together once again? Is it through good works? The answer is no. You see, no matter how much good works we do, it will never bring us together. In fact, we need a mediator to help us, but not just any mediator. We need a savior. Here, Paul tells us that there was one man who was God, who became the mediator for us all. And his name was Jesus Christ. He was the go-between, meaning this. He laid down his life to meet us where we are. He took the punishment so that we can be reconciled with God. You see, there's no other way. In the world today, all of culture, society, all other religions are saying, keep working on yourself. Keep doing good. Then one day you'll make it to the good place. I'm not sure if you guys ever watched the TV uh, show, The Good Place. Um, it's actually a funny show, but at the same time, it's quite startling because the premise of the show is this. It's about a group of people who were actually messed up in life and, you know, they've died and gone into the afterlife. And so now at the afterlife, they're trying to make it into the good place. And what the show is telling us today is this. It's quite simple. 
do good deeds and you'll make it. But that's not what the Bible tells us today. You see, what Christianity is telling you today is that there's someone who's already done it. Someone who's already gone to the bad place so that we and all of us can make it into the presence of God. His work was perfect. His work was complete. Friends, family, would you trust in that? Trust in Jesus who gave himself up as a ransom. He paid the debt and took the hit so that all of us today can be made right with God. Jesus paid it all, which leads us to the very important question, why, uh, what do we do with this? From God's desire, we see the gospel is actually inclusive and exclusive. What do I mean by this? I mean that all are welcome to join, but there's only one way in. All are welcome to join in the household of God. No matter what your past life is, you're welcome in. No matter where you are currently, you're welcome. It's, it's, it's inclusive in that sense. I remember a TV show that came out a, a few years ago called Suits. I don't know if you guys watched it. Um, it was really good at, in the beginning, but it kind of got redundant and tedious. But in Suits, uh, it's about a law firm in New York, uh, I believe New York, and, um, and they take pride in the fact that all of their employees, all of the lawyers that they hire, are from Harvard Law School. And so a part of the recruiting process is they'll take the best of the best in Harvard Law and hire them as lawyers. And then this obviously goes down the drain when they hire someone who's not from Harvard. You see, the church is not like that. We don't take pride in what your success is. During membership class, we don't ask you for your resume and your transcript. We don't, we don't look to see whether you've got it all. You see, the household of God is not a country club. It's not a social frat. As a household of God, each of us are different. All of us come from different backgrounds and cultures. Some of us use the word John to mean person, place, or thing. I, being from New York, don't understand it. John is just a person named John. And so um, we're different. You see, what unites us is not, you know, the Eagles or the Phillies. What unites us is Christ. So when you become a member of the church, we don't ask for your testimony so that we can only welcome those who uh, like, you know, the Eagles and, and stuff like that. No, then I wouldn't be able to come in here, right? But we ask for your testimony because we want to see that you have been united with Christ. And that's the key, Christ. Today, we're all united by Christ's person and work on the cross. And that's why the gospel is exclusive. There's only one way in. It's not through our works. It's based on Christ's work. One, one pastor said this way, uh, and I modified it a little bit. It's like going into an Ivy League school on someone else's uh, resume or transcript. It's like getting into a Fortune 500 company on someone else's resume. You, you know, that would seem unfair from a human standpoint, but that's what the gospel does. We couldn't earn it but there's someone else did. And we come riding on his work. But because of God's 
desire to save. Here's a practical application for us. We must go out and share the good news. In verse 7, Paul writes, For this I was appointed to a preacher and apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. A couple of weeks ago, we saw how Paul was the chief of sinners. But by the grace and mercy, he's been transformed. And he's called to be in the ministry. And the gospel is the reason why Paul was called to preach, teach, and witness to the Gentiles. See, because Paul was touched with the gospel truth, he went forth and he began to have a heart for God's people. And in the same way, Cornerstone, if the gospel is real to us today, we must then go forth and share it to everyone that we meet. You see, as Christians today, we must long to see the world come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And if we don't, I think that shows that we may not have quite understood the depths of God's grace and mercy in our life. And until you realize the truth that God loved you by sending his one and only son to die for you, die for a world that hates him, we won't pray. We won't go out. We won't care for the world or the people. But if we do understand the mercy, the depths of God's mercy and grace, then we will adopt the heart of God, a heart that longs for all to be saved. It's God's heart that leads us to pray for all people. And it also leads us to share the gospel with everyone that we meet. It's God's heart that leads us to pray for all types of people. Today, if you believe in Christ, then I wanna challenge you. Let's pray for our enemies. Let's pray for this world that many people will come to faith. Let's not just focus locally in Lansdale, but let's focus all throughout the world. Pray that no matter who they are, that they would come to know the truth of the gospel. At this time, let's take a moment to pray that over uh, this world, that many would come to know the gospel.